appreciate Aaron last week, and uh, we we had to go down to had to go down to Miami and spend a little time on the beach with our daughter, and uh, it was a it was a blessing to be there with her and uh, to be there when she came home from Peru. So uh, really appreciate that. Uh, as Todd and I were talking right beforehand, he was saying uh, about the Roman world. He was saying, imagine the early Christians finding themselves the Jews and and the Christians finding themselves in a culture that was so radically different from the morals that they held that it's almost unrecognizable, okay? That's the kind of condition that we're going to find the Jewish people in, in an extreme transition from, from their world in Israel as their in exile in Babylon, and then as some changes take place before the time of Christ. And so Daniel has asked specifically of God, when is all of this going to happen? And God is revealing it to him in a series of visions. And so uh, so in chapter 7 we saw the dream of the four beasts, and it was just a rough sketch and uh, of the future, I'm going to say the future history of nations, okay? Because it is given as a prophecy. Uh, there's some things that are told that are in uh, Hebrew and some things that are told in Aramaic. It appears that the reason the things were told in Aramaic is God wanted even the Babylonians to know those things. But for the things given in Hebrew, it's fairly frequent that God says when He gets through with the vision, make sure you seal this up. Don't share it with everybody. Okay? So, we're going to see that in uh, chapter 8 as we get some details that are given for the future actually a distant future for Daniel, and, uh, but they're still historical to us, most likely. Uh, there are various interpretations. Some would say that, the, uh, that these prophecies occur early on, then they occur again, and then they occur in the final time. And so uh, we don't know the exact details of all of that, but we do see that kind of pattern in, pro in biblical prophecy. So I want to I give that... Uh, at least some uh, some thought. So, looking at chapter eight, we see a culture war. We've seen a culture war before. We began in chapter one, where there was a culture war, where the Jews' food was attacked, their customs, their dietary laws, that they were exiled. They had to learn language. They had to learn culture of the Babylonians. They had to learn the mathematics, the science, the astrology. They had to know all of these things from Babylonian culture as opposed to Jewish culture. So they had this huge change, and it was a culture, a, a, a culture shift, culture transition is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a radical, abrupt change in your culture surrounding you, okay? So, uh, we see the same kind of thing occur as the Babylonian Empire goes for a very brief period in their control of Israel. And so, uh, and we do have some things that are we're, we're shifting in and out of some of these rulers. So we're back to Belshazzar and his third year of ruling. Okay, Belshazzar was the guy at the end of the Babylonian era, 
and right before the Medes and the Persians came in and took over overnight. So he was the guy that was was toasting and having a big party with articles from the from the temple of God. Okay, it was very disrespectful of God, and uh, and so. Uh, so we're back to that time period, but this is a vision that Daniel got at that time period. Okay? I want you to see that the book is not organized chronologically. It's organized thematically. It's, it came down to a point which said, who are we? It started out fairly general with culture, and then who we are, and who we worship, and it comes down to the point, are, are we humans or are we animals? And then it kind of broadens out from that, and we're back to the cultural aspects, and we're looking at people that are very animalistic in their culture, okay? Uh, I don't mean in their religion as an animalistic religions, I mean, they're like animals. They're like beasts. And we're going to see that. Okay? So, uh, if somebody would read the first four verses of Daniel chapter 8, as we see that the culture war is about trampling God's holy people. In the third year of Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ula Canal, I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns, standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged toward the west, then the north, then the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased, and became great. Okay. So we've already, thank you. Uh, so we've already seen that, uh, that these, are, uh, these are about nations. We'll get an interpretation of this. And so I'd like for us to move quickly through this. But, uh, but instead of having a whole bunch of pictures at the end, I've included the pictures throughout. And so we see Elam here. And Elam is a different country. This is part of the Medes and the Persians. So Belshazzar is Babylonian. At this point, the Medes and the Persians are still future to ruling. But Daniel has a vision where he's not in Babylon. He's in the Medes and Persians. He's in a citadel in the Medes and Persians, and he's beside this big canal. Okay? And so, and, he, and what does he see? A ram. A ram. What's, what's, what's the big aspect of this ram? Couldn't stand against it. Nobody could stand against it. Okay? Why not? How did it appear so powerful? In the verses. Well, it already had two horns, and then it was, uh, one of its horns was growing bigger, like, continually. Yeah. And yeah. it kept charging. And it kept charging and charging and charging. This is... This is the uh, this is a symbolic thing that we've already seen that Daniel is referring in well that God is referring to Daniel and is using symbolism to say the Medes and the Persians here's this ram that's coming through here's a train coming through okay tornado is coming through your town okay those are those are visual images and that's uh, I guess that's all we can have, isn't it? Uh, so, uh, those are images. No, can we have literary images? Okay, anyway. Uh, so, uh, so, he says these two horns, and one's bigger than the other. The Persians become more dominant 
than the Medes. Okay, so let's keep going. Okay, we get this ram and he's got these two horns and he's charging around and nobody can stand against him and then all of a sudden something happens. Verses 5 through 7, somebody? Suddenly a goat with a prominent horn came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen beside the canal and charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none can rescue the ram from its power. Okay, so who takes over the, the, uh, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians? What nationality? Do we know? What follows Babylonian Empire is the Persian Empire. And then following that is? The Greeks. Okay, so who's this? The horn, and the horns here represent kings. Okay. So the, the animal itself is representing a, a, a basically a lineage or a nation, but the horns are representing kings. So who's this one horn that's so prominent here? Alexander the Great. So we're going to see that this is very, very specific, and, and I'm, uh, I'll share with you some, uh, some secular history. And... Um, and we'll see how that this was interpreted by, uh, by Jews and Gentiles hundreds of years ago, over 2,000 years ago, actually. So, um, so we see that this kind of, uh, here's Alexander the Great coming out, and he's got huge speed, very fast, okay? Got a prominent horn, <laughs> okay? So somebody, verses 8 through 9. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. Okay. And again, we've already seen this in previous visions. This is a symbol of Alexander. His horn is broken off. Okay. Power is distributed to four of his generals. He actually had about 36 generals. There was a big fight. Who gets, who gets what? So four of the generals basically maintain a dominance over the others. And they, dis, and they divide up the kingdom into four different quadrants, just like is prophesied. Okay? We're going to come back to this again with some historical uh, perspectives from other people. So that's why we're kind of rushing through it because a lot of this is repetitious, but a lot of it is, is here so that we can see a particular point, okay? Verses 10 through 12. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Okay, so I want you to see that it grew until it reached the host of the heavens. It's talking about this prominent horn. The horn that came out of one of those four kingdoms. Okay, so Alexander's kingdom... 
is divided up into four different sections, four different regions given to his four primary generals. And out of one of those generals' territory, one comes up that's more prominent than all the others. Okay, Folks, this is a culturally... There's huge things going on here. This is why this whole part of the world spoke Greek. This is why your New Testament is written in Greek. This is why it was written above Jesus' head. King of the Jews was written in Greek. This is why Jesus spoke Greek. Paul spoke Greek. Okay? They were Jews, but they spoke Hebrew and Greek or Aramaic. Okay? So, uh, and, and, and Jesus spoke Hebrew uh, and occasionally was misunderstood because of it. So, um, so this, is that, this is that one powerful king that comes out and he's absolutely horrendous. And so we see this uh, picture here, an old picture of the sacking of Jerusalem. And uh, I'll read to you from history how terrible that was. Um, it almost makes me sick. So... Hopefully, I won't get sick. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll be that'll be interesting for the camera, I'm sure. But okay, let's keep going. Thirteen through fourteen. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, "How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people." He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. Okay. There is a lot of symbolism and numerology in the book of Daniel, as well as the book of Revelation, and other apocalyptic literature throughout the Bible, and even in the Bible itself. Uh, this, was a, this was a form of communicating things okay, that were specific. I've looked up the 2,300 evenings. If you interpret that as 2,300 years, as we have, uh, says evenings and mornings, as we've interpreted days elsewhere in Daniel, you end up in 1848, which is of no significance that I can find for anything. But biblical, there are biblical scholars that think that 1848 was somehow special and that this was talking about the year 1848. I don't know what that is. Okay, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the 2300, except he does say evenings and mornings, as opposed to days and weeks that he has previously used. Now, I'm using English translations, okay? But uh, if you come up with 2300, what we would call 24-hour periods a day, if you come up with that 2300, okay, you're ending up in about six and a half, 6.3 years, six years, four months, which is about the time of Antiochus Epiphanes rule over the nation of Israel. Okay? So I think it's actually written about that. He's asked, how long is it going to be? How long are we going to suffer? And God says 2,300 days, mornings and evenings, or evenings and mornings. Okay? So the Jews did measure from the evening to the morning for their days. Okay? All right. Let's keep going. I, so I don't have answers for that, but I do have a suspicion. Okay? So 15 through 19. Somebody else? While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. 
I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said, understand that the vision concerns the end of the, the time of the end. While he was speaking, I was in a deep sleep, with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath, because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. Awesome. Okay, so again, there's this conversation going on between angelic beings or possibly between uh, Jesus and an angel. Uh, so they're called holy ones here. Um, and so uh, one who stood beside me and looked like a man. Okay, and we see that angels and Jesus seem to have had occurrences uh, throughout the Bible where they appeared as human. Okay, but there was something angelic about them, something powerful, something glorious about them. And so, uh, so again, this is a vision. So this is a vision of what's going to happen. Now, what do, you, what do you notice here? What does he say uh, this is all about? The end of time. It's the end of time. Okay? It's about the end of time. Now, again, is this the end of time for Jewish suffering? Is this the end of time before Jesus comes? Is this the end of time before Jesus comes back? Those are questions that I've got for you to do a little bit of research on, putting the responsibility on you. Okay? So, on your homework. But that's what it's really about. So, Daniel has asked for clues. He said, God, how long are you going to let this happen? We've been, we've been doing something. We're going to see Daniel's prayer in, in a future chapter. We're going to see Daniel's prayer is, God, you said 70 years. It's been 70 years. When are you going to do it? You said we were going to do these things. Well, it looks to me like they were done. We've done our checklist. We've paid our penance. When are you going to rescue us? And so, God's given Daniel a special vision, okay? Uh, Josephus says, Daniel is special among all the prophets because all the other prophets come in and they say, y'all are sinning. You know, they, they're, they're like Jonah. Y'all are sinning, you better repent. repent. John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Okay? With a lot of authority and power, the power of God, the authority of God. And we've got that as the people of God. We've got that responsibility to share with others that there is an accounting to be paid, that they're responsible to God. But Daniel is special among the prophets in the fact, Josephus says, in the fact that he carries a message of hope. A message that's revealed to him very specifically with time frames and with an end of the destruction. Not just, it's going to be mass destruction, God's going to get you for that. But God's going to punish you for wrongdoing, but He's going to deliver you in the end. And as His people, He's going to bring you to a greater glory. Okay? Daniel is special among the prophets in that way. Uh, so says jo Josephus. So, okay. All right. And I've got, uh, I've got this ugly looking goat. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, so uh, it's not the way I pictured the Grecian kingdom, but uh, <laughs> I don't know about these teeth. I do actually have a, uh, you can't see it on the camera, but I got a crack in my thumbnail from Elmer, my, my goat, who did not want to wait for me to unwrap some licorice one time for it. And he got that in between his jaws, teeth, and just chomped down on it, and it scarred the tissue. And Elmer, uh, Elmer uh, unfortunately died the next day. <laughs> Mysteriously. <laughs> was taken from the land of the living. So, uh, so anyway, Alexander the Great, we got Ptolemy, we got Cassander, we got Seleucus, uh, Seleucus and uh, whatever you say. And, uh, and then out of Seleucus, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes comes uh, as a prominent horn uh, that goes on. And so this is the Grecian Empire from 331 to 168 BC. This is still uh, basically a couple of hundred years in the future for Daniel. Okay? God says, seal it up. Don't tell everybody what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what's happening, but don't tell everybody else. Because he doesn't want other people to, to, to it doesn't want it, the prophecy to influence their behavior and to influence history. Okay? So, uh, by the way, the fact that it's hidden causes, if, again, I've mentioned this before, if you look up in Wikipedia or somewhere, you'll find that a lot of historians say that Daniel is written after all of these things took place. Okay? Why? Because it was revealed after, and we don't have the original manuscripts. We've got copies of copies, and so they say the only way this could possibly happen is if it happened afterwards, and the Jews wrote it down and just changed the symbols to make it fit history. Okay? I don't believe that. Okay? Uh, verses 20 through 24. Verses 20 through 25 uh, refer again to, I believe, to Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, who was a prominent, sorry, who was a prominent <laughs> king that came out of Seleucus. Again, we'll uh, look at some, his, uh, some history, but he was the first one of these kings to declare himself to be God manifest, God in the person. A lot of the other kings of their empire, Babylonian and uh, and uh, the Medes and the Persians referred to themselves as sons of God or children of God or blessed by God or God's anointed. But he actually prints on his coins, I am God manifest. I am God himself, the bearer of victory. Okay, verses 20 through 25. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of in intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the, who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. 
against the prince of princes. Okay. Uh, by the way, in a previous a previous revelation, Daniel was told that there would be people that would rise up and that would challenge even heaven itself. Okay. So the prince of princes here is is either the prince. Uh, we're given a little bit of a clue in a later chapter. Uh, it's either the prince Michael, who seems to be uh, an angel, an archangel, who's given authority over Israel. Or it's Jesus. Okay? So the Prince of Princes would, would imply Jesus to me. Okay? And verses 26 to 27. Uh, won't you, uh, just before we do, before we read it, look at that picture. What's special about that guy dying? The guy on the ground. The guy on the ground. What's going on there? Something is coming out of his mouth. It appears to be worms. Okay? Worms coming out of his mouth. We're going to see, uh, we'll see how the uh, secular history records this event. Okay? This is an engraving from a long time ago. I don't remember. 1800s maybe. Okay? So somebody read these last two, last two verses for us. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given you is true, but seal the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Everybody agree that Daniel's a smart fella? Mm -hmm. Everybody agree that Daniel understood Jewish culture and Babylonian culture and numerology and interpreted dreams for people was incredible. And what does he say here? It was beyond his understanding. Okay? It would be presumptuous of me to tell, I mean, I can tell you what I think the 2300 days and some of these symbols are, but Daniel says, this is overwhelming to me. Now keep in mind, he's received it in picture format. Okay? In a vision. He's not been, you know, media and Persia are mentioned here. Okay? But this is stuff 200, 300 years minimum in his future. Okay, imagine you're given a vision of what Murfreesboro is like 300 years from now. Imagine you're given a vision of what, it, imagine if you were 300 years ago. 300 years ago, what, when would that have been? 1720. What if you were in 1720 and you were given a vision about what's happening today? It'd be very confusing. You'd be scared. You'd be seeing carriages go by without any horses pulling them. Okay? You'd see, you'd see all kinds of crazy stuff. Okay? Daniel says, this is, this is beyond me. I don't get it. Okay? Now, there's there are things that he's obviously told. Medes and Persia. He's got words for those places. Okay? But those people had not even risen to power at that point. Okay? Okay. So, I'm going to leave this on this gross picture. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I'm just going to go through some history. We've got about 15 minutes. Uh, let, let's see if you have uh, observations, questions, or uh, gut reactions before I go through. I've got, uh, I've got some history to read to you, but but, but I want to open it up so if y'all have a question or something you want to say first. 
Okay, so uh, so to me, this is one of the. Uh, there's an underlying principle here. The underlying principle is the same as we saw in our last chapter, and that is that kings are going to rise up in the earth. This is for all of us. Rulers are going to rise up in the earth, or from the earth, but saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. That was Daniel 7 verses 1 through 18. We've got, you know, we win in the end. That's the principle at stake here. Daniel's given some special stuff. We're covering this, okay, because, hey, we've got election coming up Tuesday. We've got world powers at play that are manipulating things all over the place that cause us to wonder, what's God up to? How long, Lord, before we're released? Anne's been asking how long since at least seven and a half months ago. Okay? So when, when, is, when is God, you know, Carol prayed for, for a release from this virus. How long are we going to be held captive with masks? with social distancing, where we can't hug even our own family sometimes. We can't go see somebody in a nursing home, somebody we care about, okay? And so, you know, how long, Lord, will this go on is a question that we're asking, okay? And then there's the whole business of persecution of the church. The church is being persecuted, and it's likely to get worse, I'm afraid, folks, before it gets better. All the indicators are there, okay? The answer is, from God is, hold fast, you're in the kingdom, and we win. There will be times of suffering, of extreme suffering. Hold fast, we win, okay? So let's look at some. Uh, let's look at this from history. Okay, uh, uh, first few verses here, uh, verses one through four, and back again in verses nineteen and twenty, refer to the ram. The Medes and the Persians conquered Lydia to the west in five forty seven B.C. and Babylon uh, five thirty nine B.C. and uh, Egypt and Nubia and the south in five twenty five. BC and the Scythians in the north in 513, the entire number of provinces were 127 according to the book of Esther. Okay, from India all the way to Ethiopia, the Medes and the Persians ruled all the way from India over to Ethiopia and up into Turkey. Okay, so uh, they attacked, they attacked the Greeks, which made Alexander mad. And so we get to the goat. Alexander, who is Greek, came from the west. And uh, it says the goat came from the west. Okay. Came storming out of the west, charging out of the west. Covered the face of the earth in 12 years. We're talking, our New Testament is written in Greek. Because this guy conquered the world in 12 years. Everything was his in 12 years, okay? Unheard of, okay? Um, conquering everything from Macedonia to India, south to Egypt, marching his army over 5,200 miles. That's a long ways to march an army. There are people in India, in a valley in India, that have blonde hair and blue eyes. 
because they're descendants of Alexander's army. Okay? Uh, so, um, here's what uh, historians say. Uh, this comes from Josephus. Now, Alexander, when he had taken Gaza, made haste. I'm going to read this quickly. I hope you can listen quickly. Uh, pretend, you're, uh, pretend you're a Yankee for a while. Um, uh, so, I'll just pretend I'm a fast southerner. Uh, now, Alexander, when he had taken Gaza, made haste to go up to Jerusalem. And Judah, the high priest, when he had heard that, was in agony under the terror, not knowing how he should meet the Macedonians, since the king was displeased at his foregoing disobedience. Alexander said, I'm going to conquer Babylon. I need some help from you, Jews. I need you to send some people to fight with me. And the Jews said, sorry, but we've already promised Darius, the Babylonian ruler, that we would never take up arms against him. And so, therefore, we cannot help you. They told this to Alexander by courier. Okay? How do you think Alexander would take that? Yeah, with sword swinging. He's furious. Okay? He's got Tyre under siege. Tyre is a city out on the coast, and he actually retreated to an island. Alexander had his army pick up rocks, drop them in the ocean, until he made a causeway out to the island. Took him seven months to take the city of Tyre. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dedication right there. that's some dedication. Uh, he was pretty, pretty ticked with, with the folks from Tyre. He's even, he says, I'm going to finish this, and then I'm coming for you, Jerusalem. He said that. Okay, and then I'm coming for you, Jerusalem. So here's, here's uh, this is a, the cool, I think this is the coolest story from all of history. Okay. So, he therefore ordained, the, the high priest, uh, that the people should make supplications and should join with him in offering sacrifices to God, whom he besought to protect that nation and to deliver them from the perils that were coming upon them. Whereupon God warned him in a dream, which came upon him after he had offered sacrifice. Ooh, sacrifice, then revelation. That he should take, and prayer. Okay, that he should take courage, adorn the city, and open the gates, that the rest should appear in white garments, but that the priests should meet him, uh, meet the king in the habits proper to their order without dread of any ill consequences, and which providence of God would prevent. Upon which, when he rose from his sleep, he greatly rejoiced and declared to all warning that he had uh, the warning that he had received from God, according to the which the dream he acted entirely. And so he waited for the coming of Alexander. And when he understood that Alexander was not far from the city, he went out in procession with the priest. Doors of the city of Jerusalem open. Alexander is charging, going to conquer them with the sword, going to destroy them for their insubordination. Okay? Can't believe you'd treat me like this. Okay? The procession was venerable and a manner of it different from that of any other nation. It reached to a place where you can see both Jerusalem and the temple. And when the, Pal and when the Phoenicians and Chaldeans that followed him, followed Alexander, fought, uh, thought they should have liberty to plunder the city and to torment the high priest to death with the king's, uh, which the king's displeasure 
pretty much promised them, and the very reverse of it happened. For Alexander, when he saw the multitude at a distance in white garments, while the priest stood clothed in fine linen, and the high priest in purple and scarlet clothing, with his meter on his head, priestly garments and all that, having the gold plate of, his, of God written on, uh, on his chest, uh, he approached by himself, Alexander approached by himself, and adored that name, the name of God. And first saluted the high priest. The Jews also did all together with one voice salute Alexander and encompass him about him. They all surrounded him in a throng. Okay, he's coming out with his generals ready to destroy Jerusalem. And, he get, and he's surrounded by all these people dressed in white stuff, priests, all that kind of stuff. Okay? Um, uh, salute Alexander and encompass about him, whereupon the kings of Syria and the rest were surprised at what Alexander had done and supposed him disordered in his mind. Have you lost it? Okay. One of his generals, Parmenio, alone went up to him. <laughs> One guy had enough guts to go up and ask him how it came to pass when others adored him, he should adore the high priest of the Jews. To whom he replied, I did not adore him. But that God who hath honored him with his high priesthood. For I saw this very person in a dream, in this very habit, when I was in Macedonia, who, when I was considering with myself how I might obtain Asia before I ever went on the march, before I ever started conquering the world, okay, God gave him a dream and exhorted him to make no delay. But go boldly pass over the sea, and he would conduct his army and give me dominion over the Persians. Whence it is that, having seen no other in this dress and garb, uh, now seeing this person in it, and remembering that vision and exhortation I had in my dream, I believe that I bring this army under divine conduct and shall wherewith conquer Darius, etc., etc., etc. He says, I'm not honoring this priest. I'm honoring his God who gave me a dream that I was going to win. Go quickly, he said. Oh, wait, is this the same God that gave Daniel dreams about leopards? You know? This same God that says a charging goat goes through and nobody, nobody, you know, even the one that nobody could stop, the ram that nobody could stop, this charging goat just tramples, tramples it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the same God. Okay? So, um, so uh, by the way, the high priest asked, Daniel, uh, Alexander says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And they said, well, you can help us rebuild our temple, give us a few things, but mostly if you'll just leave us without taxes for the seventh year. Every seven years, it's our custom in our law. It's called the year of Jubilee. Okay? It, technically, it's every 70 years or every seven years. It's, it's a little bit ambiguous. But the, the, the year of Jubilee, we don't plant our fields. So if you'll not tax us that year, that'll be good enough for us. And let us keep our own laws. Alexander says, great. As a matter of fact, if some of your people want to come with me, they can come with me, be soldiers in my army, and you can still be Jews. You can still keep your laws and your customs. Okay? This is huge because what we're about to see is Antiochus Epiphanes. I want you to contrast this conqueror with Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay?
Four horns. Very short time Alexander's relatives were killed, so there's no natural heir to the throne. Battle ensued between 36 of the generals, four of them. Cassander, Lysima, uh, so Cassander gets Macedonia and Greece, Lysimachus gets Thrace and parts of Asia Minor, that's Turkey to us, Ptolemy gets Egypt and part of Syria in the south, and Seleucus uh, gets the bulk of the Persian Empire and Syria and eastward, uh, that means all of India, okay? Uh, so I believe that uh, this later horn is Antiochus Epiphanes, as I've already said. Some believe it's the Roman Empire, some believe it's the Pope, some believe it's President Trump, or the European Union, or whatever. So, uh, you know, you can decide for yourself. Uh, but I think it's Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, but I'm going from a historical perspective. It could be multiple again. And it could be the Antichrist at the very end. Okay? So, uh, Antioch Epiphanes, uh, until his death, uh, he gained, uh, I'm sorry, you know, we're, we're way out of time. Uh, well, we're just now out of time. But anyway, I want to get, uh, we got to get this. When King Antiochus had built an altar, an idol altar upon God's altar, he slew swine upon it and offered a sacrifice neither according to the law nor Jewish religious worship in that country. He also compelled them to forsake the worship which they paid to their own God and adore those whom he took to be gods and made them temples and raised idols in every city. He actually forbid people from being circumcised and he killed mothers, threw them off the walls. He killed their babies and wrapped them around their throats and then threw the mothers off the walls if they had their babies circumcised. Okay? He took pigs and slaughtered them on the altar of God. Okay? He, he, he was Hellenistic, that is to say he was, he, was, he was Greek origin, Greek language speaker, as all of those four kings were, and all of their descendants. Okay, so, uh, so this, is a big, this is a big deal. Uh, let's see. Uh, he, uh, indeed, many Jews who were compelled with the king's command, either voluntarily or out of fear of penalty, uh, that was denounced. But the best men and those noblest sons did not regard him and he and threatened to be disobedient, upon which account every day underwent great miseries and bitter torments, for they were whipped with rods, their bodies were torn to pieces, and were crucified while they were still alive and breathed. They also strangled those women uh, strangled those women and their sons whom they had circumcised as the king appointed, hanging their sons about their necks as they were uh, as if they were on crosses and if there were many sacred if there were any sacred book of the law found it was destroyed those whom uh, found it were miserably perished also uh, the, the people who had it when these happenings were reported to the king he thought Judea was in revolt this is a little bit later on so they do have the Maccabean revolt and so Maccabees is a story about that uh, see uh, there was a massacre, so he comes back and he tries to take over. Uh, there was a massacre of young and old, a killing of women and children, a slaughter of virgins and infants. In the space of three days, 80,000 were lost, 40,000 meeting a violent death, and the same number being sold into slavery. A man could not keep the Sabbath or celebrate the traditional feast, 
nor even admit that he was a Jew. A decree was issued ordering Greek cities to act the same against the Jews, obliging them to partake of the sacrifices and put to death those who would not consent to adopt the customs of the Greeks. Thus two women were arrested for having circumcised their children publicly, paraded about the city, babies hang about their neck, okay, uh, and he had them burned to death, okay. He's remembered as a major villain and persecutor of the Jewish traditions associated with Hanukkah, including the books of Maccabees, the wicked, uh, and has been identified as the 11th horn of the beast in the book of uh, Daniel. Antiochus died suddenly of disease in 164. I've got to end with this very short excerpt that tells of his death. But all seeing God of Israel struck him with an incurable and invisible blow. As soon as he stopped speaking, he was seized with a pain in his bowels for which there was no relief. And with sharp internal tortures that were very just, for he had tortured the bowels of others with many strange inflictions, yet he did not in any way stop his insolence, but was even more filled with arrogance, breathing fire in his rage against Jews, and giving orders to drive his chariot even faster. And so it came about that he fell out of his chariot as it was rushing along, and his fall was so hard as to torture every limb of his body. Thus he was only a little while before... Uh, he, had, he had thought his superhuman arrogance that he would command the waves of the sea and had imagined that he would weigh the high mountains in a balance, that he was brought low to the earth and carried in a litter, making the power of God manifest to everyone. And so the ungodly man's body swarmed with worms while he was still living and anguish and pain, his flesh rotted away, and because of the stench, his whole army felt revulsion at his decay while he was still alive. God is in control. Do not fear the kingdoms of this earth. God will claim victory for us. God be with you all this week.